Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, September 20th, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. We are on page 29 in There is a Solution, beginning with the paragraph, Each Individual in the personal stories. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, September 19th, is 3036. That's 3036. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps for us. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions, um, the 12 steps, excuse me. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Edini. I would now like to ask Margaret to read the 12 traditions for us. 
Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you very much. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we are going to resume our study in the big book on page 29 in There is a Solution, beginning with the paragraph, each individual in the personal stories. And this morning we have Penny C. to start us out. Good morning, everybody. It's Penny C. from Massachusetts and thrilled to be here. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. This paragraph surely demonstrates what we read just yesterday when we talked about William James and his varieties of religious experience where he indicates, as it says in that book, 
a multitude of ways in which men had discovered God. Well, when I came to OA, I had a God. I had a strict um, parochial upbringing, and I was sure that the higher power that I came to know was was all there was. And that higher power was a judge, a punisher. Uh, I was one to be feared. And when I came to OA and began to study the big book and, and listen to other people's religious experience, I realized that my God had another side, and that was loving like a parent, someone who cared for me, who, who, who put my needs right up there in front along with all the needs of all his other children. And, and it was just such a, such a, a wonderful revelation to be able to feel God. And, and my relationship with God today is one where when, I'm, when, I, when I feel the need for comfort, I just can sit and spend a little while with God and feel, really feel his arms around me. And I get that through talking to other people that I know in OA who tell me, you know, that, that God loves me and God is bigger than any, anything. God's bigger than my problems. So I'm, I'm thrilled, too, when I read these stories, which I've just delved back into. I'm reading these stories little by little, actually on a telephone meeting with other OA members, and, and seeing that that there are there are so so many different ways, but it doesn't matter how we get to a relationship with our God. All that matters is that I develop a God consciousness, and and that I walk with Him every day. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Miss Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, overeater from South Jersey. Each individual and the personal story is described in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. Wait a minute. I, I thought this point was the point of this was to stop drinking. You know, what does it mean, the, the way we establish his relationship with God? You know, that's because the whole aim, the whole goal, the whole... The whole reason to join a 12-step program is to establish a relationship with God. Now, in order to do that, we have to put down the food. You know, and the reason that, that we, this program works for overeaters and alcoholics and drug addicts and people who smoke is because the only step that mentions the substance is step one. Steps two through 12 describe how we establish our relationship with God. That's the whole point. That's the whole game. You know, that we have this self-imposed crisis. And what we need to do is we need to put down our substance, we need to put down the food, and then we have to get working on the steps. You know, there is a solution. We're at step two. Came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity, which means we're insane. Now, step 11 talks about conscious contact with that higher power. So what gets us from step two, where we're coming to believe, to step 11 when we're in conscious contact? That's steps three through ten. 
So what they're talking about here is we're going to show how we establish that relationship with God. So these clear-cut ideas of what happens. And I remember this saying I heard, which I love, it says, you have to save, when you're in a meeting, you save the mess for your sponsor and the message for the meeting. Because the whole point of coming to an LA meeting, the whole point of coming together as a fellowship is to carry this message that we can, come, we can, through these steps, have a spiritual awakening, have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And that is why I am here today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star 1 to unmute. This is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to say uh, something about this paragraph in that, for me, I learned that these first 100 recovered alcoholics carefully, carefully thought about what would be helpful and useful to put in this volume, to put in this book that was going to go out and carry the message of hope and recovery to people who still suffered. And they decided that what might be helpful was hearing some personal stories. Because we've been reading in these chapters and learning who we are and what we're up against. You know, what is our problem? What is our problem? But now we're going to hear about the solution and we're going to have an opportunity in the personal stories at the back of this book to hear from someone who actually recovered and what happened to them. What happened to them? A clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. You know, that is, the, that is the great beauty, I believe, of being able to identify. You know, they wanted a cross-section of membership. They wanted people, real people, with real lives and real recovery to have their stories included so that people could say, ah, oh, I'm like that too. Maybe I'm like that too and to tell us from each individual's point of view and in their own language what actually happened to them, who they were, and what happened to them. You know, what a beautiful thing that this was included, you know, that we can see and identify, you know, that will help us. That's what they were hoping to do, is put things in this volume that would help us, would, would help them carry the message by using this volume and then help us by being able to identify. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi. Then we'll move. Oh, go ahead. Yes? No, go ahead. Oh, Dennis, this is Kathy um, from Boston. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kathy. Thank you. So um, what I wanted to say is uh, a little bit different from what I've been hearing in that I've been um, in the 12-step rooms now for almost uh, 18 years. Um, And I came in as agnostic, and I little by little believe I am establishing a vital connection with my higher power. And I only started making progress when I started working the steps. Um, I remember that after I completed my fourth step, I felt a very strong connection and looked forward to my daily 
um, meditation and prayer times. Um, and over time, uh, life kind of pulled me away from that, and I'm struggling now to uh, reconnect in a meaningful way. So um, for me, it's been kind of a rocky road. It has not been... Uh, um, as um, straightforward, and yet when I listen to everyone share, it gives me hope to continue on the path and to continue to strive for that connection. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Esther, if you would read that for us, please. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. My name is Esther, compulsive overeater. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women, desperately in need, will see these pages, and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing. So this is, um, the authors are telling us why they put these personal stories in. Remember that the big book was originally written because there was this desire to spread the message of recovery and at a time where there weren't so many meetings and you know telephones were not as sophisticated as they are today so a, a book was put together but um, there was a need to put stories in the book too because the, for many people they weren't going to be going to meetings and hearing speakers' stories, etc. Um, as a matter of fact, these stories of the of the big book make up the bulk of the pages, even more so than the 164 pages of the program of recovery. And here he's telling us why, so that when we read these stories, we will identify in and we'll say, yes, that's me. I also did that. I also had that. I also felt that way. I also went through that. Maybe, Maybe I'm also an alcoholic. Maybe I'm also a compulsive overeater. Maybe I could also be helped by the, you know, the program of recovery that he's about to de- describe. And the other, um, the other thing that was done to keep, um, to enable us to identify with the stories, what the stories were um, changed and uh, modified, or um, some were added, some were taken out. This is all to keep the stories to better that the story should better reflect. Um, the type of people who are in the membership, because, again, they want us to identify in. So as more women were coming into um, the program of recovery, they uh, added in more stories about women. And, again, the purpose was so that people who read this book, because for some people that's all they'll ever do, or it's the first thing that they'll do even, is pick up this book. They want us to be able to read it and, and to say, you know what, I may be one of them, and maybe I could also benefit from what they're describing here. And, you know, I'm sure there are people who read this book and say, I can't relate, that's not me, that's not my story, and then they realize maybe this program is not for them, they're not one of us. But for most of us, by the time we pick up this book, we read the stories, we hear the stories in the room, and we say, you know what, I'm really like them, and I think that I want to, you know, follow the path that they followed. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Hey, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered 
Compulsive Overeater, grateful to be here. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages. And we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing. I mean, indeed, you know, uh, we're talking about identification here and the power of identification. You know, um, that, that's, that's what those of us who have recovered have to offer today. We are living proof. We are living proof that some power greater than human power is working in our lives. You know, that, uh, that I was dying in that uh, bitter morass uh, and the quicksand and that um, the only way to be rescued from quicksand is to be delivered from it and that uh, that was no personal success. This is not about glorification of myself. This is about what can happen when I cooperate with the grace of God. You know, so um, I went from hopelessness to hope, and that's exactly what these men and women who recovered and penned these pages um, hoped for. You know, our hope is that this language of the, of the heart, you know, saying that we once lived like that too. Our lives were also filled with mayhem and misery and pain. And what we say to others is, do what we did, and you'll have what we have. You know, bring us your pain. We're not afraid of that. Bring us your loss. Bring us your failure, uh, your shame. And this program of recovery is going to give you something more than that. You know, it's, it's more than just the simple elimination of alcohol. These men and women had a whole new life, a soundness of mind, a reordered life, a restored life, a new life, you know, not just a piece of a life, an entire new life. Um, so in, in these stories um, that tell the story of that transformation from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, hopefully along that, in that story, the newcomer will say, yes, I'm one of those too. Yes, I, I live like that. And yes, I desire to be free. And uh, that's exactly what is promised in this book, big book, A Life That Is Happy, Joyous, and Free. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, Janice. This is Audrey from Minnesota. Good morning, Audrey. Go ahead. Good morning, my fellows. You know, it's so. this is Audrey, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. What's so great about happy, joyous, and free is that it's available 24-7 and right now. It doesn't mean that we don't have any problems. It doesn't mean that life isn't happening. It doesn't mean that there are issues we're not dealing with, but... What's been so great about this big book study is realizing that by taking things personally and overreacting emotionally, uh, for many of us, that frothy emotional appeal, as uh, you know, Bill talked about in the big book, that emotional appeal is that emotional binging, which is taking things so personally and just feeling so raw all the time. What I so appreciate is that it is possible to be happy, joyous, and free regardless of other circumstances. And that's why just, you know, being in the present moment and being grateful for what is, is such a powerful tonic uh, to this uh, disease of compulsive overeating. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Audrey. 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 Thank you,
Thank you, Audrey. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sarah. Can I share? Go ahead, Sarah. Good morning. I'm Sarah, Compassable Radio from New York. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages. We believe that it's the only, by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems, they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them, too. I must have this thing. You know, um, why would it be considered in bad taste is because so much in our society, um, it's like, you know, don't hang out your dirty laundry. Don't hang out your dirty laundry and don't um, our pride holds us back from letting anyone see any of our problems. We have to put up this face like everything's just perfect and hunky-dory. And these stories which reveal our problems and in the most honest and these self-revealing accounts, they're self-revealing not so that people should hang their dirty laundry, not to be pitied and not to be, um, not to, you know, like, not to compare, but rather to identify. For they revealed their stories in order that I should have a story that I could identify with and say, you know what, I'm just as human as you are, and I'm, I have this problem. I have this problem, and I want the solution that you found for yourself. I want it too. And only by being honest and humble enough to reveal the truth, the truth of their experience and the truth of their of their experience with the solution to it's such an act of kindness for me to be able to um to read their journey and to identify with it and create a journey of my own and to um and to find the recovery that they found and to have a taste of heaven the way they've created in their lives and it's only through that identification and the humility to read the stories with, um, without judgment and with, with that identification and not comparisons and not um, self-righteousness, but rather with the humility to know, yes, I have this problem and yes, I, I, I want that solution and yes, I'm willing to do the work. And I'm so grateful for their humility and their willingness to share their experience so that I could have my own. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. This is Janice, and I would like to say just something about this paragraph as well. You know, we hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. You know, remember, this, this book was published in 1939, in 1939, and it offered a pretty bold solution. It offered a way to find God. It offered a way out of the disease of alcoholism. And the solution to that was a loving and powerful hand of God and a way to find that God, a way to find that God. No, that was pretty bold solution, but a beautiful solution. But in that period of time, you know, we were, they were not, you were not asked to find a book where someone was putting out their story, you know, in all their self-revealing accounts. They didn't want anyone to think that that might be in bad taste. And I think about what we hear today and what we see today, 
you know, that is sometimes not in the best of taste. But this time, this time, it's a solution to a problem and a beautiful solution and a wonderful solution, but a pretty bold solution, I was taught. You know, that if you are one of us, if you can relate, if you think you can diagnose yourself as an alcoholic like we diagnosed ourselves as alcoholics, if you are a compulsive overeater like me, then this is a possibility for you as well, that we can all dwell in this possibility, in this finding of this loving God as a way out of our dilemma. You know, and those stories were wonderful for me to read. Wonderful. Wonderful accounts of people's spiritual experience, their spiritual awakening, so that I could relate not only to their problem, but to their solution as well. And with that, I'll pass. So we are going to turn the page now, and we're going to begin more about alcoholism, Chapter 3 on page 30. And Katie, if you would please start us out. This is Katie. More about alcoholism. I'm a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And (laughs) I spent my whole... Uh, 18 years of compulsive overeating doing exactly this, wanting that somehow, someday, I would be able to control my eating. And um, I I just, you know, unlike this paragraph before where it says, yes, I'm one of them too, I must have this thing, I wanted to prove that I wasn't one of them and I don't need this thing. But um, that's where the surrender comes in, that we can say, I am one of these people and give up the idea that somehow, someday, I will be able to control and enjoy my eating, that I would be able to go to a buffet and try everything, that I would be able to go to the newest restaurant and order whatever I want. That idea had to be smashed, and that only came by uh, belief in a higher power, um, by trusting the people who I saw in these rooms who um, were one step ahead of me. They weren't necessarily years and decades ahead of me. They had just been able to put down the food and start walking these steps and living this life. And I'm so grateful that uh, that surrender did come, and it only came by an act of humility and through the grace of my higher power. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Esther? Go ahead, Esther. Thank you. Um, my name is Esther, compulsive overeater. So the, the last paragraph was teaching me, is taught me that in order that, you know, it's only through a spiritual experience and a relationship with a higher power that I'm going to be restored to sanity. And when I learned this 
chapter more about alcoholism, it's going to tell me about my insanity, meaning if if a higher power is going to restore me to sanity. So what is it? What is this insanity that, you know, about my eating? This is this chapter is a good description, a few pages of description, and then some, um, you know, examples of stories of of the insanity, the type of thinking that is is common to all us alcoholic compulsive overeaters. And I remember when I first read this chapter, I was thinking to myself, how did they know the types of things I was thinking? How did they they know the crazy things I would say and do? Just before I would, you know, pick up after weeks or months of of absence. How do they know? So this is what what I learned when I when we studied this chapter, and this is what um, the, the, this first um, paragraph, you know, begins for us is to tell us that um, we're going to now tell you about your insanity, right? Because in order in order to, you know, for a higher power to restore us to back to sanity, we need to know what we're insane about. What what is the nature of insane thinking? Um, and this is what uh, I learned when I read this chapter. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, Janice. Good morning, everyone. Countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. You know, I thought that was it. I just wanted to be like my friends who were normal eaters. But, you know, once I started really reading these stories, when I started to get into the doctor's opinion, get into what Bill's story was like, I realized what I wanted was to participate in my disease to the fullest. I wanted to eat with abandon. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do with the food. I just didn't want the consequences. I didn't want to be fat. I didn't want to be hungover. I didn't want to feel bloated. I didn't want the physical consequence. But I wanted to eat like I wanted to eat. So these countless vain attempts to prove I could eat like other people, I didn't want to. You know, and I I think that Esther put it so beautifully. You know, this chapter is not about the insanity of the food. This chapter is what we're like when we're abstinent. This is about what we're like when we are not in the allergy and all we're left with is the greater aspect of our disease, which which is the obsession of the mind. You know, so the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is that I can control and enjoy my eating. Because when I'm controlling it, I sure ain't enjoying it. And when I'm enjoying it, I sure ain't controlling it. So these stories are about abstinence and what that's like when the only thing that we're doing is attracting, is addressing the physical. It says we are bodily and mentally different. You know, we have to understand that it's not just our body. If we treat the physical aspect of our disease, we're leaving ourselves to the most vulnerable part. So this, is, this chapter to me was so critical because this made me realize I wasn't just someone that overate. This was, made me realize that I was a compulsive overeater. And until I fully conceded that, I wasn't going to get anywhere. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star 1 to unmute. This is Leah. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. Thank you so much. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Yeah, I kept testing my personal control. I did not 
want to admit that this thing wasn't going to go away. You know what I mean? I just hope that one day I would wake up and, uh, you know, it'll be over. The nightmare's done. You know, I was unwilling to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater. And, you know, we talk about uh, willingness being a one-person job. It is a one-person job. I had to be beat down into a state of reasonableness. You know, I, the, the, the disease had to pummel me uh, to get to the point where I threw in the towel and said, you know, whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes, the pain of my life, of my existence is excruciating. And if I need to push a penny from here to China with my nose, I am ready to do that. But for uh, two decades of mayhem, I was unwilling. It says most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. I didn't want to be one. You know, I did not want to be one. I had other dreams for myself than to be on the phone line every morning. You know, I had other dreams and wishes for someone like me. But that was my reality. It says no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Uh, you know, I really needed uh, the teaching that this big book offers because for years in OA, I was focused only on the physical, only on the physical. You know, if I could just tweak and adjust the food plan, then this thing, this beast, would go away. But what the big book is telling me here, no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. That's teaching me about the grave na nature of my illness, that yes, I have an allergy of the body, and yes, I can't start this program of recovery until I've identified those substances that trigger uh, that phenomenon of craving in me, but I have a problem much worse than the allergy of the body. I have a problem much worse than the allergy of the body. My real problem is this obsession of the mind. My real problem is a mental problem because my real mental problem is that I have a mind that tells me to go back to eat those foods even though I've been away from them for a period of time. That's the mental obsession. And what the steps do are take away the mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening a sense of harmony with the universe, and a sense of unity with life that allows me to become sane again. But until I understood, until I understood, until I believed that my problem was much worse than I thought it was, those steps just, you know, just uh, hung on the wall in my meeting rooms. You know, they just hung on the wall unread unless I believed I was going to die until I, until I implemented, implemented them in my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yeah, this is Sarah. Yeah, hello, this is Penny. May I share? <clears throat> Go ahead, Penny, and then Sarah. Okay, okay. this is Penny Speak. A, a recovered compulsive overeater. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics, and in my case, um, a real compulsive overeater. I, I, there was no way I could admit that I was a compulsive overeater because I never heard that term before until I went to my first meeting. I had no idea what my problem was. And, in fact, at one point, uh, I, I, I tried to take my, my 
overeating and my my um, excess weight as a joke. And I remember one time sitting down and writing a poem that started, now I sit me in my chair and pray that my weight will disappear. That's all I knew. I wanted to be thin. I wanted to be like other people. But what I didn't know is that I had a disease. And once the people in, in, in you people in, in Overeaters Anonymous rooms told me that this that I had a disease and that it was called compulsive overeating, I embraced that. My higher power said, all right, you know, you've been in the medical field. You know how you treat a disease. And that was, that was just what I needed to hear that very first meeting. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful that I went out of that meeting and I started planning how I was going to deal with the disease. Because I didn't know, as I said before, I didn't know what my problem was. I, I thought I was, I thought I was hopeless. I thought I was just always going to be fat. I had accepted that, but once I knew the nature of the disease, then I could admit, not only admit, I was, I was so relieved to know that there was something that could be done for the disease. And then you people taught me that it was twofold and I could work on both those, uh, those areas by, by getting into the steps. And uh, I'm feeling passionate about this because it was such a wonderful, I, I'd love to think about that first meeting and the, the transformation that occurred that very first meeting um, was, was miraculous. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Penny. Go ahead, Sarah. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a compulsive overeater from Washington, D.C., and um, pretty much this whole chapter is, is highlighted for me. And one of the reasons that I find the big book study very valuable is that it reminds me about how persistent and critical my disease is. And paradoxically for me, this is actually um, – this is even more important for me um, in recovery than almost than it was when I was getting abstinent. Um, I've enjoyed, um, you know, seven years of abstinence now, and it still surprises me that sometimes the mental obsession will creep up. 99.8% of the time it's not there, probably even more than that. But when things are very, very challenging in my life, if I'm grieving or going through a particularly tough time, it will come up. And it's always surprising to me. And, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, also in recovery, I'll say, oh, you know, am I really a compulsive overeater? You know, when you've been abstinent for a long time, it feels very natural most of the time. And then when these times come up that, you know, the mental obsession is getting kicked up for me, I'm thinking about food um, in some way other than, you know, on my food plan as nourishment, um, you know, I will open my mouth and talk about this with other fellows and talk about this with my sponsor, and she'll say, yep, that's a normal eater in you talking. And it's always just such a good reminder. So I'm just relating to this line. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. It's astonishing before we get into recovery. And for me, it's still, um, you know, a little bit astonishing in recovery that, you know, when, like I said, when things get tough, you know, it, it shows up there. So I'm, I'm glad that we have these reminders that we're, not normal eaters, um, and that uh, there is a solution in the big book. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Catherine. Go ahead, Catherine. 
Yes, this is Catherine, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I was so grateful this morning to hear these two, these last two paragraphs we've been reading. First of all, to hear about a reminder about the stories in the back of the book. You know, uh, so often, you know, we're, we are told to focus on the first 164 pages. But um, for me, uh, you know, reading about Bill's story, Dr. Bob's nightmare, and of course the most, one, probably one of the most even more read is about acceptance is the answer on page 417. But for me, I, f- I find that the stories in the back of the book, I, I read about people sharing their experience, strength, and hope. For me, doing the, 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 um, the big book, reading about alcoholics, I can relate to the alcoholic. There's a story on page 328, Crossing the River of Denial, and it's about a woman. She finally realized that when she enjoyed her drinking, excuse me, when she enjoyed her drinking, she couldn't control it. And when she controlled it, she couldn't enjoy it. This is on page 328. She says, it's like a man standing on a bridge in the middle of a river with his pants on fire, Wondering why his pants are on fire. It doesn't matter. Just jump in. And she said that's exactly what she did with AA. And further in the story, um, I read about, um, let me see, I found everything I had ever looked for in Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to thank God for putting AA in my life. Now I thank AA for putting God in my life. This is on page 336. You explained the big book had no chapters titled Into Thinking or Into Feeling, only Into Action. On page 337, it says, You said, as long as I put AA first in my life, everything that I put second would be first class. And for her, it proved true over and over again, and for me as well. So she continued to put AA first in AA and God first, and everything she ever lost was returned many times over. Good days and bad days. Reality is a wild ride, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. I don't question how this program works. I trust in my God and stay involved in AA service. Go to lots of meetings, work with others, and practice the principles of the steps to my willingness each day. And uh, on that, I pass. Thank you. Let me share. Thank you, Catherine. This is Janice, and I would like to say something about this paragraph as well. You know, one of the things that struck me, you know, why was I so unwilling? Most of us have been unwilling, they tell me, to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. I read this paragraph for the very first time and thought, how did they know me so well? How did they know me so well? Because I had spent my life trying to fit in. I had tried to fit in, always feeling like I was sort of different, always feeling like I was on the outside. And I had spent my life trying to fit in, trying to make believe I was not like these odd people that I was like the normal people, you know, always trying to fit in was the idea that somehow I could control and enjoy my eating. You know, the great obsession, the great obsession that I followed and followed and followed. Countless vain attempts, countless vain attempts. 
my experience, when you looked at my experience, it was proven over and over and over again that I could not eat like a normal person. But I shut my mind to that. Even though I knew I was either running towards that first bite or running away from that first bite. Always, always, always. But boy, I tried to resist and deny and defy and refuse to believe that that was true about me. Until I was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved. Until someone cracked open this big book and made it come alive for me and helped me to see myself in this. Then I could stop pursuing that obsession into the gates of insanity or death because that's exactly what I was doing. Pursuing it with a determination and an intellect and a self-knowledge and a self-will despite the fact that it wasn't working. You know, I was throwing everything I had against this idea that I was bodily and mentally different from my fellows and that nothing I was doing was working. But I had to know that about myself. You know, more about alcoholism showed me that I indeed had this delusion, that I indeed had this obsession, that I had this way of thinking, this way of thinking, and the persistence of that illusion in my thinking had to be identified in me. I had to see it clearly. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, we'll move on to the next paragraph. Deb W., if you would read that for us. Are you there, Deb? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Penny, would you read, please? People don't get it. They don't know. Penny, Penny would would you read that for us, please? Yes. This is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. And I love this paragraph. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. And, um, you know, I had to stop trying to fit in with everyone else. I had to look at the people in the room who had recovery and say, I'm one of them. I had to stop um, fighting myself that, to think that, um, that, I was gonna, that it was going to change. 
um, our innermost self. That's, you know, the core of my being is this is who I am. And, you know, I, um, I didn't, uh, as someone said earlier, you know, I didn't lay awake at night when I was a child and think, oh, I hope when I'm 52 I'm, I'm on a phone meeting every day in my robe trying to get ready for work and just, uh, you know, talking about recovery. I mean, that was not my dream in life, but, and yet, I feel extremely blessed and free and loved and alive because that is what I do today. And I have been given my life back because I've accepted the fact that this is who and what I am. Uh, You know, I don't try to um, live in the delusion that I um, am like other people. I don't expect every person I meet in life to understand who and what I am. And uh, I come to this, this phone line every day, and I hit star one occasionally to see who else is out there because right now I'm, I'm alone in my house. Um, in the middle of a, of a cornfield in rural Virginia, you know, I could feel very isolated and alone, but I'm not. There's at least 115 people on this phone line who all understand who and what I am, and we are all trudging this road together. And, uh, but I could not ever get to that if I continued to fight um, the uh, delusion that I would be someday wake up and stop having this disease. Uh, it ain't going to happen. And I'm grateful for that acceptance today. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, Penny E, please. I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear who was first. Penny E. Go ahead, Penny. From Michigan. And then Deb, thank you. Good morning. Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, you know, I keep thinking that this book, every single line, is our, our inheritance. You know, Bill, Bob, the first 100, want us to get this thing. Every single line um, has to be, has to, must be taken in. So here he says to us, we learned that we had to fully concede, fully give in, no reservations. I have to have no reservations at all. You know, maybe I should have my jaws wired shut. Maybe I should have surgery. Maybe I should try, you know, oh, they have something now that you sprinkle on your food and and you lose weight. You know, maybe I have to fully, fully, 100% concede because if I don't, I have no reason to reach out to the second step. I have no reason to seek a power greater than myself. You know, if I still think I have some control that there's door number three, so to speak. This is the first step in recovery. Um, I, ha- I must. This is a must. I have to be certain, certain, certain that I have this disease, that I am absolutely powerless. And I think the only way that I can get to that point is by practicing the disease. You know, keep trying. I tried for so many years. You know, diet camp. I, I, you know, I even lectured for a, a weight loss program. Whatever it was, this will help me. This time I'm going to do it, cross my heart, hope to die, until I knew the only way out was death for me. Suicide looked like a step up. I fully conceded that I had this disease. Tell me what to do next. And it's like an automatic reaction. As soon as I take that first step fully, 100%, I have no other place to go but to, se- to the second step. You know, otherwise I'm just lost. So thanks, everybody, for letting me share.
I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Go ahead, Deb. Sorry about that earlier. I couldn't unmute. Hi, Deb W. from Michigan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, just absolutely love this paragraph. And, um, you know, again, it reminds me of the doc's opinion after he writes that letter. Um, of course, I lost my place now, and I wanted to read it to you. Um, it says, in the statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And, you know, it goes on to say, um, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. And, you know, that's the bottom line. You know, this um, paragraph's talking about this is our first step, that we have to concede to our innermost being that we are, you know, compulsive over years. I had to fully concede to my in my innermost being that I am a compulsive overeater. But again, what we've been talking about, the obsession of the mind is the greater aspect of that disease. Um, so I just, there's one other place I wanted to bring out, but I got to go. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Deb. All right, we'll close here. Um, and thank you to everyone who has shared today. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Esther, would you please read that for us? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep, bless you and keep you until then.